Good morning, church. My name is Joel Dunn, and it is a privilege to read God's Word this morning. Yeah, we are reading Joshua 23, verses 1 through 3. A long time afterward, when the Lord had given rest to Israel from all their surrounding enemies, and Joshua was old and well advanced in years, Joshua summoned all Israel, its elders and heads, its judges and officials, officers, and said to them, I am now old and well advanced in years, and you have seen all that the Lord your God has done to all these nations. For your sake, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, worship team. Um, well, for those of you who I don't know, uh, I'm one of the other pastors here. My name is, is Brian, uh, and I'm excited to be in the pulpit this morning. It's been a minute. Um, we just wrapped up a class uh, on Wednesday nights um, about just what is the church, and so um, that's where a lot of my attention has been, but it's always fun to, to get to be up here uh, on, a, on a Sunday morning. And so um, I had this whole introduction uh, prepared and planned about just what do we think rest is, what do we think um, it is, and, and have all these different categories of it. It was great. It was epic. But um, it, it, it was not lost on me, though that uh, as I woke up this morning and I felt frazzled and as I felt kind of just really just kind of, I don't know, you ever wake up? And it's funny, it's, it's, we had the extra hour of sleep. That did nothing for me last night. Um, I don't know about y'all, but uh, it, 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 I, I woke up feeling kind of rushed. Uh, I forgot to start the water, watering our yard, so I had to do that. Um, my wife so graciously asked me to do something, and for whatever reason, it frazzled me. Uh, it was the simplest thing. And so I just felt my heart being really rushed. And as I was... Um, in my office, getting just kind of getting my thoughts together, it, it wasn't, uh, the irony wasn't lost on me that uh, I was feeling rushed and frazzled on a morning where I'm going to be preaching on rest. Um, when we're preaching on, what does it mean to rest in the Lord? And so it's not lost on me. And, and Caleb kind of even hit it at the beginning. I think there's just sometimes, there's some mornings we just feel, uh, whether it's off or rushed or just like we're, we, we just can't quite catch up to where, like our souls can't quite catch up to where our, our bodies are or vice versa. And so it's not lost on me that our souls, uh, we live in a very busy world. We live in a world where it's so easy for us to get frazzled. It's so easy for us to be rushed. Uh, We go from thing to thing, obligation to obligation, uh, appointment to meeting to meeting. It it is no, especially as the holiday season comes up. I'm really quick. Who has their Christmas trees up already? Hey, hey, no shame. No shame. Ours is probably going up next weekend. So Anyways, uh, but the busyness is only going to continue for us from here until uh, January, Um, and then we all will hit that lull again. We know that too, Um, and even for that, we feel rushed and frazzled about, Um, but what we need as we think about just the season and the moment that we're in, um, so rest can come in all shapes and sizes. I mean, sleep is a great form of rest. We love it when we can actually sleep, or relaxing and, and just hanging out with friends and um, you know, maybe watching uh, a, a movie or, or a game or something like that. It's, it's, these are all kind of good forms of rest, but they're incomplete. They're not complete forms of rest. It's not the kind of rest our souls really need. Why? Because when you go to sleep, as great as it is, the next morning you wake up, do all the things again, and you, have, and, and you get tired, and you have to repeat. Um, or when you go and relax and watch a movie, like it's fun for a moment, but then like it's over. And then 
your real world kicks back in. And so there's a kind of rest that sometimes we seek and we look for, um, but it's not the really kind of rest that our soul needs. It's not the kind of rest that our, our soul needs. And so what is the kind of rest that our soul needs? Where do we find rest? And as I ask that question, I think all of us are probably ready to give our Sunday school answer. Jesus, absolutely, amen. But I think what's so important for us as we think about the rest that comes from Christ is that we just don't quickly give the Sunday school answer because what I think might, we might be tempted to do is that we give way to this cliche answer to where our hearts then become numb to what it actually means. You know what I mean? And so, so in the busyness of everything that's going on, and what is this rest that we want and what I think all of us crave that it's to be found in Christ? What does that mean? What do, how, do we, how do we get it? Well, as we get to Joshua 23, and so if you haven't turned there already, go ahead and turn to Joshua chapter 23. Um, but as we get to Joshua tw- chapter 23, this is exactly uh, where the Israel is in this moment. They are in a season of rest. So most of the book before this is this is Israel beginning to enter into the promised land. Um, we've covered all the chapters about them conquesting the land, the, the enemies that were in the spaces that they had to conquer. We talked all through that. And as it says in verse 1, it says, a long time afterwards. We don't know quite how long afterwards, but what we do know is that it was long enough to where, what does the text say? That the Lord had given Israel rest. He had given them rest from their surrounding enemies. So really, verse 1 is going to set the tone and pace really for the rest of the book. That Israel is now in this season of rest. They're in this moment where they're getting to enjoy the promised land. They get, they're getting to enjoy um, uh, all the fruits of their labor. And what is important to note is that why this verse sets the tone for the rest of the book is because, one, we know that they're in a season of rest. And two, Who was it that had given them the rest? What does the text say? The Lord. The Lord was the one who had given them the rest. And honestly, was this not the goal of their conquest? Entering into the promised land, getting to enjoy the land, getting to step into this space that the Lord had promised them really since the beginning, since uh, since Abraham, since Genesis 12. And so Israel is getting to walk in this. And in this chapter, Joshua, he's old now. He's about to pass away. He's giving them this farewell address. He, and, and in his address, it's really the sobering warning of what they need to do to continue in this rest that the Lord had given them. Well, how they needed to continue to walk in the, the rest that the Lord had given them. Because here's the reality is, the rest that they were, had wasn't really about the land. The land was a part of it. It was a part of the promise. Um, them getting to enjoy the fruits of their labor. Them getting to um, you know, establish cities and, and, and be more just settled. This was definitely a part of it. But really what it was a pointer to was that they were a people who had a God. That they were a people who were known by their creator, who God had made a promise to them back, even since in Genesis 12, that he would be their God and they would be his people. See, the rest wasn't really about being in a location, but rather being known by the creator. 
And so it's, that's the kind of rest that really um, Joshua is encouraging them to walk in. It's not just about staying in the land and, and, and keeping good care of it, but rather it's keeping their hearts in a position to where they saw that God was their God and no one else. And so we obviously live in wildly different cultures than Joshua 23. We're not Israel. Uh, we're not Israel. We're not, uh, we're not um, you know, the recipients of this specific promises that these texts are talking about. But what we are need to understand is that despite that, Rest for our souls doesn't necessarily come from having favorable circumstances. It doesn't come from everything being okay. It doesn't come from us not experiencing suffering because the reality is those are all true about our lives, right? When we feel anxious about something or around a certain person, don't we just want relief? Or when we feel like our relationships are in disarray, uh, don't we just want peace? See, relief, rest, peace. These are all good things. Having good circumstances, that's not a bad thing. Like, it's okay to want to, like, life to be okay. Um, but the reality is those things um, will only serve as temporary pacifiers for the rest our soul really needs. The rest we want, like we, we really want, the rest that we really, really need uh, doesn't come from something that, that we can touch or something that we can experience in this world, but rather it has to have its source in Jesus. It has to have its source in Jesus. And so Joshua 23 is going to highlight what does it look like for us to enter into this rest? And in Joshua's farewell speech, there's really two things he's going to be highlighting that I think is important for us to consider. Is that one, he's going to highlight that we, how do we experience rest? We remember God's faithfulness and then we cling to him. That's what we need. To, that's, that's what Joshua 23 is going to help us, remind us as we think about what does it mean for us to enter into this rest, to have rest for the souls that we really need. So how can remembering and clinging to the Lord and his faithfulness help give us rest for our souls? So we're going to flesh this out. That's out this morning. And so let's first look at remember. So what was Israel to remember? What was it that, they, that Joshua was calling them to, to remember? So look really quick. Um, what, if you, as you read through Joshua 23, um, one of the things that is made abundantly clear, and we kind of already saw it in verse 1, is that it was the Lord who was doing all the work. He was the one who was div- doing all the heavy lifting. Remember, verse 1 said that he had given them rest from, the, from all their enemies. But Joshua's emphasis was the fact that God was the one who did all the things to get them to the point where they are. Let's just look through this and see this. So if you have your Bible, look through these. I'm going to give a couple references throughout chapter 23. I want you to see from the text how it is that the Lord was the one who ultimately brought them into this, because Joshua is highlighting it. You see in verse 3 that it was ultimately the Lord who had fought through the enemies. He says, Therefore it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. So God was the one who had fought for them. There were still nations that were, they had to continue to conquer. And so you see in verse 5 that God still promises that the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. And so he's still going to fight for them. He, the Lord, in verse 9, it says, He drove out strong and great nations. The Lord had driven them out. And what we even see is, like I said, again, Israel was not 
passive. They did have to be obedient. They did have to walk in and, 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 and fight the enemies. But, but look how they fought. In verse 10, he says, One man of you puts to flight a thousand. Why? Because they were strong? No, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised. Their strength came from the Lord. So their obedience was amplified, not because of what they could do, not because they had the best war strategies, but because what the Lord did. Because God was their strength. And you see in verse 14, and it repeats it as well in verse 15, that the Lord your God, um, all the things that he had promised you, not all, all of them had come to pass. Not one of them had failed. So you see how Joshua is highlighting all that the Lord had done to bring them the rest that they were currently experiencing. And it actually goes and works in the, the negative sense as well. And this is where the, the warning comes in. Um, you see in verse 13, he said that the Lord um, would cause them to perish from the land if they ended up mixing uh, with the other nations and serving other gods. More on that in just a second. And if the Lord, he also says in verse 15, if the, if the Lord will bring about uh, evil things to Israel if they uh, transgress the covenant, if they serve other gods. He really says that they will, three times uh, in these, these final verses of chapter 23, he says that they would perish from the land if they go and serve other gods. And so, but what, what we see, what Joshua is highlighting is that the, the moment that Israel was in was not something that they accomplished on their own, but rather it was the Lord who did it. And this is, this is what this is emphasizing here. And so the pattern is that the strength, the strength of Israel came from God. In each of these things, God was the active one accomplishing their promise, all the, all the promises. He was the one who brought them into the land. They had to be obedient, but God was the one ultimately empowering their obedience. He was the one bringing them about to the place where they have been. And, and why was it important? Why do you think it was important for Israel to be reminded, for Joshua to remind, uh, and really the specific context of this, he's talking to the elders of Israel. He's talking to the ones who'd be carrying out uh, the culture to continue to walk in the ways of the Lord. He's talking to the leaders of the nation who'd be in charge of carrying this out. And so he's, as he's talking to these people, why do you think it would have been so important for them to be reminded of all that God did? Why do you think it would have been important? Because how easy was it going to be for them to forget? Twice in this chapter, he warns them, if you mix with other nations, you will serve other gods. If you mix allegiances, if you forget the fact that you already have a God, and you forget the fact that he has brought you to this place, if you forget these things, you will go and serve these other gods. You will bow the knee. You will serve them. You will worship them. And so he is reminding them, do not forget. Because, because complacency was all too real of a threat for them. Complacency and things being okay and good was all too real of a threat um, for them to um, realize that, oh, maybe there's something else out there for me. Joshua is causing them to look back and to remember how God was faithful. And we see a significant even moment in verse 12. He says this at the beginning, he says, For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them, 
so that, so that you associate with them and they with you. Know for certain that the Lord will no longer drive out these nations before you, but they will be a snare and a trap for you. What, what, what is a snare? I'm not talking about like a drum, but what is a snare? <laughs> it's a trap. It's a trap to do what? To kill animals. These nations, if, if they were to turn from the Lord, if they were to turn from something that they already had put to death and try to find life in it, they end up would be the ones who would die, who would perish. Turning back, and, and, and really what would turning back signify? It would signify a heart that was captured by something else other than God. A heart that was intrigued, a heart that was captivated by something else other than the one who gave them everything they needed. And so they needed to remember. What did they need to remember? That it was the Lord that brought them rest. He was the one that delivered them. He was the one that saved them. They had no need to go look for life in what they already put to death. And so what is it then that we need to remember? What is it that we need to remember? There is no need for us to look for life in what has already been put to death. How easy for us, if we're honest with ourselves, and I want to I encourage you to be honest with yourself. How easy is it for us in our own hearts to be captured by something else? but to be other, to other gods, other false idols. And I think most of us in here probably don't have little wooden statues uh, in our closets, which if you do, that is an idol, and you're worshiping it, that is an idol. But I think our idols and gods tend to look like different things. You know, we're very well aware that there's a lot of things that can easily capture our heart. You know, the pleasures of this world, um, uh, power, position, there's lots of things, money, politics, sports, sex. God's all, there's so many things. Our families, even good things can become ultimate things. Our jobs, uh, can, our hearts are able to be captivated and captured by so many things. And, and by captivating and captured, what I mean is that all of a sudden we're looking to whatever this thing is, and I am looking to it to ultimately satisfy my soul and give me the rest that I want. I want this thing to really uh, satisfy my longings. I, Paul David Tripp, he is a pastor. He, he says it like this. He says that we all still tend to look horizontally for what we will only ever find vertically. There are times when we want creation to be our savior. All the good situations, locations, possessions, relationships, achievements, and natural beauties of this world are wonderful blessings from the hand of God but they have no ability to give you the one thing that your heart desperately desires, life. And so there's a lot of things. We can look at our behaviors and we could find a lot of these surface idols, meaning things that we know that we gravitate towards to try to find some kind of life. But um, there's another pastor named Tim Keller. He actually identifies that there's actually something else going underneath. Why is it that I'm always turning to this thing to try to numb the pain? Why is it that I'm always trying to control this situation to try to, you know, manipulate my circumstances so I can get what I want? He, 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 what he does is he's causing us to, Tim Keller challenges us to look at these things called surface or source idols. 
And what source idols are, it's looking at the motivation behind what we do. It's asking the harder questions. Why is my heart captivated by money? Why is my heart captivated by sex? Why is my heart captivated by position? And so he lists out four different source idols. So these are just a helpful thing to think about. But source idols are what is the motivation behind why my heart is captivated by something else other than Christ? And so he lists four. So the first one is comfort. Comfort is a longing to, is longing to be secure or to have pleasure. It could be saying like this, if I just have enough money in the bank, then I'll be okay. You want comfort. You want that to try to like be, make, make you what's happy. For some of you, and, and by some of you, I mean me, uh, the other one is approval. Approval is a desire and a longing and ex- to be accepted and approved by other people. If I can just get these people to like me, if I can just be accepted uh, by this person, then my life will be good. For some, it's power. Um, it's a longing to have influence and to be the one in charge. If I can just get this much amount of influence, if I can just get recognized for this amount of ability that I have, then I'll be okay. And for some, the other one is, is it's control. Control is a longing to have things go the way you think they need to and trying to have your hand in it. If I can just get things to go my way, then I'll be okay. It's one of those things. So, for example, one of the things that I know for me personally, like approval is a, is, is a source idol for me that I really struggle with. I am by nature a people pleaser. I'm by nature, like, want like, everyone to be okay, want people to, to have a good experience. And so by, by, because of that, a lot of times what I will do, uh, if I'm just being honest, what a lot of times I'll do is I will try to, as I'm in a certain situation or conversation, I will sometimes give what I think that person wants to hear. I will share and talk in a way that makes people think that I'm okay or that I'm a, that's going to, you know, help me be approved or accepted. And what that is is sin, and that's me giving into an idol. That's me trying to find rest in what other people think of me. Like I said, this is a conversation that's longer than we can give in a sermon, um, but, but here's what we each need to realize. So, so these source idols, these things that we can gravitate towards, it's important to look at what's motivating it underneath. What's fueling? What's, what's really underneath my heart? And, and, and to use the language of Joshua, what am I trying to turn back to, to try to find life that ultimately is going to be found in the person of Christ? And we see that Joshua is clear that whatever our sin is, whatever it might be that we might be tempted to turn back to, um, that the, that the, you know, it's what Paul says is the wages of sin is death. Or what we see, what Joshua says is that you will perish. The gods and the idols that we often serve will never fulfill the promises that they, that they say to us. Lust will never satisfy what you were really craving. The opinion of others will never fully satisfy. Having power will never fully satisfy. Being in control um, having money, like I said, these, like, that's not, it's not a bad thing, but like at the end of the day, we cannot place the burden of fulfillment and joy and rest on things of this world. We cannot look to the creation. So what do we need to remember? What do we need to remember? We need to remember, what does Paul say in 2 Corinthians 5, 21? 
For he, Jesus, he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Meaning what? Meaning when Christ saves us, we have all the righteousness that we need to be approved before God. We have been brought, because of Jesus, if we have our faith in him, we have been brought into God's family. Meaning that we will have all the approval we will ever need in Christ. We will have all the approval that we will ever need in Christ. Or what David says in Psalm 62, he says, God, he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. What does that mean? It is God is my refuge. God is my safe place. God is the one who's always with me. If we are in Christ, he is always with us, meaning that we will have all the comfort we will ever need in God. No amount of money in the bank can ever provide the comfort that God can provide. Or what does Paul say in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5? You can actually turn there if you want, because I think this, this is really beautiful. What does he say? He says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together in Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Even when you were dead in your sins and trespasses, Christ made you alive. By grace, you have been saved. So what does that mean? It means that no amount of power that we can ever attain will ever cause our eyes to awaken our need for, our need for a Savior. No amount of power we can ever have can ever cause us to raise from the dead, to be made alive together with Christ. But only God has the power to help each one of us as we, uh, to see our need for a Savior and to pull us out of us being dead in our sin and making us alive with Christ. Only God has that amount of power to do that. And as we even look at Joshua 23, 14 through 15, what, what does he say twice? The Lord had fulfilled all the promises. Not one of them had failed. Meaning who is in control? He is. So, so, so every time we want to look to something of this world to try to satisfy, we need to combat with scripture and remind ourselves that ultimately what is true what is really going to fulfill, what is really going to bring rest is ultimately who Jesus is and what he's done for us. It's the gospel in which we always need to remind ourselves. So this is what can help our souls give the rest that we really want and crave. It's not by looking to the things that are eventually going to pass away, but it's looking to the one who never will. And so when we remember the gospel, we remember who God is, who our Savior is. What else do our souls really need? And then when we realize that our souls will never need anything else, what do we do? We cling. We cling to him. And so you look back in Joshua 23. So remember one of the things, as, as, I mean, I think that's been kind of 
obvious as we've been going through that, that God is the one who brought them to this place. He was the one who empowered them. And so Joshua has been reminding them all that he has done, all that he had done for them, all that he had done to bring, bring the rest. And, and, and what that ultimately brings him to a position, the thing, the action mark, as he's causing them to remember, the thing he's, caused, he's asking them to do is to cling to the Lord. Look in verse 6. Joshua says, he says, Therefore, be very strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right hand nor to the left, that you may not mix with these nations remaining among you or, even, or make mention of the names of their gods or swear by them or swerve them or bow down to them, but you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. Look in verse 11. Keep, keep that last verse in mind. You shall cling to the Lord your God. And he says in verse 11, Be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to the remnant of these nations remaining among you and make marriages with them uh, so that you associate with them and they you, know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive these nations before you. Does verse 6 sound familiar to you? If you've been with us and with Joshua since the get-go, um, verse, verse 6 of chapter 23 should sound very familiar. Because if you go back to chapter 1, what was the command that God gave to Joshua? Be strong and courageous to do all the things in the book of Moses, neither turning from the right or the left. The, Joshua is sharing to the elders of the, and, and to the leaders of Israel the exact words that God had given him, the exact command that God had given him all those years before. He's recalling what does it look like to continue in the rest. It hasn't changed since chapter 1. It's clinging to the Lord. And he says in verse 8, you shall cling to the Lord your God just as you've done this day. And that word cling, it's the same word that we see in Genesis 2 when uh, God says that a man shall cling to his wife. And so that word cling is like, it's this mean it's this permanent staying with. It's this holding on to. I'm never letting go. It's that strong of a word. And it's and what we notice too in this verse, so you have two things, two options that these people have that they could cling to. They could cling to the Lord, their God, the one who's been faithful, the one that who had brought them rest, or they could cling to the, to the remnant nations, to the ones, to the nations that were still there that were serving these other gods. And the reason why he says to make, to, to don't have mixed marriages um, it is because, it's not because that God is against uh, different cultures marrying. No, not at all. But in this specific context, the issue was them making, uh, mar marriages were essentially alliances. And so if they were having an alliance with another nation who's serving these other gods, what's going to happen to the Israel? They were going to go serve those other gods. It was a promise. That's what the text says. And so that's why God has given the warning. So they have these two options to cling to the Lord, cling to the law, or you can cling to the remnant nations. And what I love in verse 11, he says, be very careful, therefore, to love the Lord your God. Does that also sound familiar? You look back in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. This is 
uh, echoing uh, Moses' command to Israel uh, right before he was about to pass. In other words, the Shema, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. But Joshua adds something in verse 11. He says, be very careful. Be very careful to cling to the Lord. Why do you think he says, adds that? Be very careful. Going back to what we said earlier, how easy would it have been for them to look at the other nations and be like, I want that over there. How easy would it have been for their hearts to be captured by something else. And so as they were to be a people who remembered, they were to cling to the Lord. They were to cling. See, what I love is that the beginning of Joshua's um, leadership began with the Lord promising that, hey, I'm going to be with you. Be strong and courageous. Know me. Be in my presence. Cling to me. Be with me. This is how Joshua's leadership began. And what is so cool to see, Joshua was by no means a perfect leader. And we've talked about that at length. But what is so cool to see is that as he's beginning to help the next generation continue in the rest, it's the same thing. Cling to the Lord. Be in his presence. Know him. Know that you already have a God. Know that you already have someone who is with you. You don't need to look to anything else, especially things that you've already put to death. There is no life back there for you. And so he's asking them to cling to them, to continue to trust him. And so for us, what that means is that we are a people who continue to cling to Jesus. We remember what he's done for us. We remember that, like I said, we don't graduate from the gospel. Right? We don't pray the prayer and that's it. No, we need the grace of God every day. We need repentance and forgiveness every day. Every day is an opportunity for us to depend upon Jesus and to cling to him. We are a dependent people. So our remembering needs to lead to clinging. It needs to lead to a clinging. And so if we're a believer in Christ, there is not a moment in our lives where we're not a follower of Jesus. It's really easy for us, I think, to categorize our, our lives or compartmentalize our lives. At my job, I do my thing, but I'm home, I'm a Christian. Or on Wednesdays, I'm a Christian, but not with these people over here. No, every single moment of our lives, like we, everything is sacred as a Christian because every part and space in which we enter into, um, we are still a follower of Jesus. The Spirit is still within us. And so because of that, every moment offers an opportunity for us to cling to him. Every moment offers us an opportunity to continue to remember and cling to our need for Jesus. And so as we remember um, that it was Jesus who ultimately put put to death our sin once and for all, as we remember that he is the one who grants us forgiveness, who brings us into his family because of Christ, as we remember um, that if we are in Christ, that we have access to him at all times, what might it look like for us to be a people who cling to him? You know what I'm going to say. We pray. Prayer is this opportunity in which we get to be in the presence of the Lord. And when we pray, 
Prayer is this opportunity that we get to enter into the throne and we get to acknowledge that we have a God and we have a creator and we have a, a relationship with him because of what Jesus has done. And when we pray, we're reminded of who he is, which then causes us to trust. We, when we, we pray, when we, remind, when we pray, we remind our souls where our hope and our rest comes from. When we pray, um, we're reminded um, of where our, our strength comes from. What, is, what does Jesus say in John 15? That if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. As, as, as followers of Jesus, we don't grow. Um, we, we can't produce the fruit for, to, for us to grow. We can't produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Gentleness. I, I know I missed a few. Um, that's the work of the Spirit within us. We are dependent upon Jesus to produce that within us so we abide. So when we pray, we are abiding. We're with him. We're enjoying his presence. And when we pray, it's our way of clinging to him. And again, there is not a space or moment of your life in which you are not a follower of Jesus if you are a Christian in here. And so every single moment then provides an opportunity for us to cling to him. And that's good news for us because we don't have to try. We don't have to depend on ourselves. We don't have to try to figure it out on our own. We don't have to try to look to other things to try to find this rest for our souls that we need, but rather we have a Savior who is always with us. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. And so rest for our souls does not mean everything goes our way. It does not mean um, that we won't experience suffering. It doesn't mean that, um, that everything um, is going to simply just fall into place and work out. But what it does mean is that we have a God who is always with us. And we need to remember what he's done for us, and we cling to him. And this is what we get to do when we take communion. And worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Communion is this reminder of the rest that we can have in Christ. Communion is this reminder um, that we don't have to earn rest with Jesus. Communion is this reminder that ultimately, because of what Jesus has done for us on the cross, his life, his death, and then his resurrection, showing that he defeated the power of sin. Communion is, is this reminder that we don't have to look within ourselves to try to find rest. We don't have to look into creation to find rest. And so when we drink uh, the juice, which symbolizes uh, the blood of Christ spilled for us, we remember that his sacrifice is the one who ultimately enabled us to be able to cling to him and to go to him in prayer. And when we eat the bread, which symbolizes his body that was broken for us on the cross, we remember that his death defeated our biggest enemy, which was sin. The biggest threat to us being able to cling to God, we remember that his spilled blood and his broken body is what ultimately enables us to find freedom from the thing that was the biggest threat to us. And so the communion is this reminder for our souls that we don't need to return to the things that Christ died for. 
We don't need to return to the sin that so easily entangles us. We don't need to return to um, what the world says is going to like satisfy our souls, but rather we get to turn to Jesus. So tur- if this morning, however the Lord might be working in your heart, if he's identifying some things maybe in your own life that you, maybe you are putting too much weight in, see that as a gift from the Spirit that he is so kind and gracious to help you see what it is that you might be giving too much away to, what you might be giving too much life and See that as a kindness from God. And use this space in this moment to remember that you get to bring that thing before him and you get to receive grace. Communion is, just for, my, is for the believer. So if you are not a believer in Christ, um, we do ask you to refrain from the elements, but we would ask you to consider Jesus. And so if you have a question about that, about who he is, what does it mean to follow him? Um, come find myself. I'm sitting over there. Ryan's sitting over there. Or if there's someone near you that you know, ask them. But we will find rest for our souls um, when we cling to Jesus and remember what he's done for us.